This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Jackie French, um, welcome again to Better Reading. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Absolutely lovely. Yeah, yeah. We're becoming regulars, you and I. We kind of do something together maybe once or twice a year, don't we? Well, given the amount of gossip we were doing before we've actually started this pod- podcast. <laughs> Sorry, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this is the beginning of the year. Okay, I've got it right now. Um, yeah. Um. Pod, a pod, pod course, that actually sounds like some weird prehistoric animal. Um, yeah. Or maybe that we're going to do several in a, or that we're going to do several in a row, like pod course. <laughs> but, you know, we could always do that, actually. <laughs> hey, you're, you're my number two this year. So I had one yesterday and one today. Um, and, you know, my first day back at work was yesterday and I only had one podcast to do and I was 15 minutes late. <laughs> and you know, I couldn't even explain why. I just, I just I'm never late. Anyway, I don't know. Please just get back, getting back into work. Anyway, let me introduce the lovely Jackie French. Um, I'm sure she needs no introduction for many of you out there. Uh, Jackie is an AM. She's an award-winning writer, a wombat negotiator the 24-2015 Australian Children's Laureate and the 2015 Senior Australian of the Year. In 2016, Jackie became a member of the Order of Australia for her contribution to children's literature and her advocacy for youth literacy. She is regarded as one of Australia's most popular children's authors and writes across all genres, picture books, history, fantasy, uh, historical fiction, which is what we're talking about today. Um, and I, I, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to add it here, Jackie. I think you are loved by all right across the board. Like my three-year-old great-nephew loves, you know, um, the picture books and my grown-up nieces and nephews love the adult books. I mean, there isn't a gap in the market where you haven't captured the reader, right? I think there is probably a gap round about six or seven or eight, but I don't think that's my fault. Um, I get, I get, I get oh, I um, drawn wonderful paintings of wombats by three-year-olds. I get a lot of getters from people 84 or 96 saying that a waltz for Matilda brings back their childhood, et cetera, et cetera, or how did you know it was like that, um, which are some of my favourite letters of all. But often when kids have learnt to read, parents stop reading to them. Um, they say, oh, you're a big boy or girl now, you can read your own book. And I do write books that 
kids who are six or seven or eight would like, but they're challenging to read. Um, the kids don't have the speed, the facility to actually read those books. So I would encourage every parent to actually keep reading to your kids at night or in a quiet time when it's hot during the day. Um, keep reading until they say, um, Mum, Dad, this is embarrassing, stop. Um, adding to that, at 84, Dad was still reading to me. Um, 4.30 in the afternoon after he'd had his nap and his um, second coffee of the day, sorry, third coffee of the day, um, there would be this invariable phone call, oh, hey, Jack, have you read the latest Thomas Keneally? Now, it may not at that stage have been the latest one. He had his daily walk to the library where the librarians um, knew his memory was failing, so they would often give him books he'd loved four or five years before. And he he had a book a day habit, like me. He would he would read a book a day. And um dad would just start reading. Mm -hmm. And it was it we Yeah. It is so wonderful. Do you know the joy? I mean, I, I'm addicted to audiobooks as well, and I'm addicted to podcasts. But the joy of having somebody read to you a couple of chapters before you go to bed is just the most wonderful thing. I still enjoy that. And, you know, I'm no longer a child. And oh, I, I I would love that forever. There's also the bribery aspect. Um, you do the washing up, you put the dishes away, you clean up your room, and I will read to you. Um, or even I will cook your favourite meal, whatever it is, or we will order in pizza or what have you. If you read to me from the point of the time we order the pizza and the time it arrives, you read to me. Mm. Um, never, ever, ever discount the the um, effectiveness of bribery. There we go. Well, that's, that's a great parenting <laughs> tip, Jackie. Um, I want to. We are going to get onto your um, adult books um, because this book is called Becoming Mrs. Mulberry. But what I do want to talk about is the Diary of a Wombat. Um, oh dear! Just quickly, did you ever anticipate? You wrote one book about a wombat, <laughs> and you got it for life, which of course is exactly what the wombat would have expected. But. Um, Sorry, did you on. expect it? No, did you? Seriously, I mean, it's so successful, you know. Uh, it is, uh, what, is it your number one selling book? It would have to be, wouldn't it? Possibly. Hitler's Daughter um, probably runs it close. Oh, right, um, okay. And also, too, it's difficult to tell. Um, Dara of a Wombat has been out for 20 years. Mm, um, mm. And like a lot of my books, some of my books are very few books, and the bestseller list to begin with. Most of my books, like it was for Matilda, the sales just get bigger slowly but surely every year as people people discover it. Mm. Um, it's like um, books about the sex life of cricketers. Um, they sell 110,000 copies within three weeks before Christmas because everyone wants a present for Uncle Harry. Um, Uncle, Uncle Harry probably doesn't read it. Mm. Um, um, but then they're never reprinted again. Um, my They're one-offs, yeah. Yeah. My books tend not to be. Um, in fact, I have never had a book with 100,000 initial copies. However, I've had lots of books, like Diary of a Wombat, where they printed 3,000. Then even before it came out, 5,000. And then as quickly as they could, another 10,000. And then 20,000. And um, 
So, no, I didn't expect it. No one did, except for Lisa Berryman, the, um, well, I could call her the senior editor at HarperCollins, but I think probably co-conspirator is more accurate. <laughs> um, Lisa and Bruce and I create these books. Lisa's name should be on the cover of those books and actually blasted. This year I will actually do it. This year I will actually say, look, I want Lisa's name on the cover of these books because um, she creates them as much as we do. Lisa was the one who thought it would be successful back then. Um, books, particularly books for kids, go through phases. Mm. Back then, you were not supposed to do anthropomorphic books for children. Animals were not supposed to speak. Animals were not supposed to um, wear little blue coats. Animals were supposed to be animals. And, of course, I'd broken all the rules. Here's a wombat who has written a diary, is potting and planning, etc., etc. Um, I expected it to sell a 1,000 copies and fail. I think the publishing board did, but Hitler's daughter had just won a whole lot of awards. And I think they thought, look, Jackie is a wombat fanatic. This will keep Jackie happy. Yeah, keep um, her quiet. Will... Keep her quiet. Keep her quiet, yeah. yep. <laughs> Particularly as we're illustrating a brown wombat and then black knight, it can't be done. No one can do it. So look, let's, 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 just, let's just say yes, but of course yeah. the book will never come out. Lisa, on the other hand, had absolute faith in it. She thought it would become a bestseller. She persisted finding an illustrator till she found Bruce. And Bruce did what most people don't realise. Um, that book is uh, is genius and no one at the time and hardly anyone since has actually realised you can't illustrate a brown wombat in a black night. And if you don't do that, it's not accurate. And this is an accurate book. It's a true book, apart from the diary entry. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's what she was thinking. Mm. Um, he turned black into white. Wherever you see all that white space, of course, is night. Mm. You're not looking at the background. You're just looking at the items. It was complete and utter genius. Mm. Um can I, I'm, I... I'm just going to interrupt you there and say, do you know, because I am at this very ripe old age that I am, a lover of children's picture book. I, I, my career started in kids' books and so mm. I've been reading picture books for a very long time. As a matter of fact, I have, a, and we've probably spoken about this, I have a dog called John Brown because he's named after John Brown <laughs> Rose and the Midnight Cat. <laughs> it's one of my favourite books. You know, Jenny Wagner was Australian. And that was written in Oh, yes, yes, I know, I know. Yeah, they, were, yeah. they were the favourite books of my son when he was, um, yes, I know. So but what I'm going wonderful. to say, the ones that work and have a life are the ones that are short stories. They are short stories yes. in, in, in so few words but that tell such a big story. Exactly, yes, yeah. People don't realise, they think it is... Um, an illustration of something that's happened mm. and what have you, and they, it's what's its big day and you go through the day. No, they. Mm. Um, a good picture book is incredibly sophisticated mm. and incredibly difficult. And I have written ones that didn't work. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I turned them into picture books because they worked as spoken stories. Mm. But as soon as you took away my my voice, my actions when I was doing it, um, they don't work on the page. We mm. thought they would, um, partly because I would explain what they're about to the acquisitions committee. But no, they were they were not. Mm. They're not picture books, and unfortunately, we don't have a genre of. Um, of told books, maybe maybe as um, maybe we will actually start getting video books where instead of having cartoon characters, we actually will get um, storytellers, um, mm. the grandmas and what have you, and they will tell the story because there are some stories that can only be told like that. Dinosaurs like cheese is like that. Mm. Um, Nina Nina Rycroft's illustrations are brilliant. Mm-hmm. But it was told to comfort a little boy who wanted a cheese sandwich and his mother had run out of cheese. And so to distract him, I was telling him how the dinosaurs had eaten all the cheese and they were hiding and and it worked. Mm-hmm. But it's a told story. It should have remained a told story, not mm-hmm. a it's interesting you should say that. Uh, very recently I was in LA. My niece was there with her two children. There's six and... Uh, four, I think, and anyway, we were putting. I was putting them to bed. They were sleeping in my room for one night, having a sleepover in my hotel room, and um, I didn't have any kids' books with me. Right, <laughs> you know, I just I didn't prepare myself properly. Anyway, I put them to bed, and they said, "But Cheryl, what about story time?" And I said, "Oh, okay." So I just oh. started telling stories. Yeah. Oh. And they were really cute and really entertaining, but oh. they were of the moment. That's it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And they're and they're stories that are bonds between you and um yeah. I had to tell um a friend that a couple of years ago. She had created a story her grandchildren adored. She had to tell them at least five times. Mm-hmm. And I had to tell her, um, look, I'm happy to um show you how to uh submit it, etc. But they're not going to accept it. It's not a children's book. Um, this is a story you tell your grandchildren. Yep. And yep. they love it because they know all of the references and what have you and grandma's voice and all the rest of it. Um, mm. It was a brilliant story, but it was not a picture book. Mm. Mm. It was a grandma's story. Okay, so when you're writing, so let's go to long form and let's go to adult books, right? Okay. Yeah. Do you... So what's the headspace of a writer when we're moving from, because most writers, um, you know, there are a few like you, but most either write adult fiction or, you know, nonfiction or whatever it is they write. Um, And not many of them write across, you know, uh, the lifespan of a person. And I know there are some gaps, but that is what you do. So I want to know how you prepare yourself mentally for work when, say, you're writing an adult fiction book. Do you ever have things going on concurrently or is it one book at a time? Um, There's always books where I'm revising proofs or doing things like that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of writing a book, it is one book at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll try not to do anything else major in my life while I'm actually doing that. I've got a book at the moment, um, hopefully two more nights work on it and I'll have the first draft, except, of course, I have to go right back to the beginning because the villain happens to be someone else. Um, the villain actually turned out to be quite a nice hero. Um, 
amazing we're, how we're, that we're happens. Very bad, very bad romantic poetry, which um, he's not he's not the hero, he's a minor character. But anyway, um, I, I have to rewrite the entire thing. But at least two nights, I will have the structure there. No, there is no difference. Um, the only difference is that with a an adult book, um, it can be bigger and, and and much bigger. And that's good because it can be more complex. Um, I am allowed to write about sex um, and even religion and politics. Um, however, I have to say, um, even in my adult books, um, I wouldn't tell any young person you can't read them or there's anything unsuitable. Mm. They're the same values, or what have you. They're pretty much the same language. Mm. Um, I think the worst thing you can do to a kid is to use simple language. Kids learn language by reading it and hearing it. And so I will use exactly the same kind of similes, um, the same number of... Look, if you think a kid doesn't know a long word, ask them what velociraptor means. Um, mm. Most four-year-olds can really, really beautifully explain what a velociraptor is. Mm. Um, so, of course, they can um, understand insubstantial. Mm. Um, so I don't meditate the language. Um, I just want to interrupt there and say mm. that is that is interesting to me because I agree with you. I was a bookseller, you know, before mm. I started better reading. I've worked on the shop floor almost all my mm. life, mm. my at my working life. And back in the day, and you'll remember this, Jackie, there was really just kids and adults. There wasn't the YA genre, right? No. And, no. And those kids used to come into me and they'd, you know, they'd exhausted the children's fiction section mm. and they wanted to mm. move on to adult books. But, you know, we were giving them things like Robert Ludlum and Tom Clancy and Jackie Collins. Well, maybe, maybe not Jackie Collins. But you know what I mean? There was an area where those kids you know, when they got to adult fiction, had an entry level in a way. Well, and they was, had all the adult themes, right? It was actually a problem. Um, I very quickly went through the children's section. Yeah. Um, and so I had to sneak into the adult section of the library. Yeah. Um, and put them in my mother's basket. And I did read Jackie Collins. Yeah. Uh, I think to my detriment, I should not have read Jackie Collins at the age of 10. No. But the problem is because there was no young adult um, really good, sophisticated books for kids around. Mm. I read a lot of books. Uh, oh, I read James M Michener's Hawaii. Yes. And yes. every time we passed an extinct volcano or I, I kept on looking for it to explode or, or a tsunami every time we went to the beach, I read seriously inappropriate books. So added to that, um, one of the books I loved, absolutely loved, when I was 10, was Aldous Huxley's Brave New World mm. about the future. Yeah. Um, and it was only when I reread it as an adult, I discovered there was sex in it. Um, mm. As a seven-year-old, as a 10-year-old, I knew about volcanoes, I knew about tsunamis. I was scared of those because of those books. But I just skipped over the sex. I mean, I wasn't interested. I mean... Mm. And suddenly, at the age of 24 or 25, oh, hey, look, there's actually quite a lot of sex in here. Um, yeah. 
that's interesting. Oh, so they were just playing Scrabble and being good friends and um mm. Mm. and going to watch the sunset. Um, Remember there was that series Flowers in the Attic as well. That was a, a crossover one that I used to often refer to. Um, anyway, there was so mm. much there. Okay, so when you're a writing fiction, you, you same approach. What mm. about historical fiction? How much research goes into that? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um. About 66 years. Right. Uh, no, but probably more than that. Make it 69. Um, I had the enormous luck to spend my first three and a half years being brought up with, by my great-grandma. Great-grandma was not a teacher. Great-grandma was not a teacher because married women were not allowed to be teachers. Instead, at the age of 16, she had fallen in love with the local schoolmaster peering through the window. Um, she married at 16. Um, he was fairly quickly promoted up to the headship of a, um, a major school, a major boarding school. Um, she went with him. But headmaster's wives back then were supposed to teach the Littleys how to read and write. Then they would go on to proper teachers. So, look, I'm severely dyslexic, but I had, and I was the first grandchild and great-grandchild in the family. So I had all of this focus on my of my grandmother and my great-grandmother, first of all, teaching me to read, not to write, um, and I still can't write the should be, but to read, but they were storytellers, um, incredible storytellers. My favourite stories were, tell me a story of when you were a little girl or grandma was a little girl or great-grandma. Um, the stories that great-grandma and grandma told me were ones they had been told by their grandmothers and great-grandmothers. They went back um, right into the 1700s, and some of them a bit further back than that. They were stories passed on from grandmother to grandchild, grandmother to grandchild. Um, I grew up with these extraordinary stories, and mm. they were they were true stories. Um, they range from um, the time grandma stuck into the um, pineapple field and ate um, a whole um, 12 pineapples um, and her mouth was so blistered and sore and she got home and found out that the nice farmer had delivered pineapples. And guess what we're having for dinner? Pineapples. Um, but they also range to um, the Rum Rebellion, to the Reverend Marsden, to... Um, what the early colony was like to the 1840s um, famine in Britain, 
World War One, World War Two, um, what it was like when um, great great aunt Nin's fiance went off to the Boer War, and what happened. Um, all of these, all of these stories, um, and I've got my family been fairly stroppy in terms of social issues. So I had women fighting for the vote. I had women fighting for indigenous rights. Um, I had all of these stories told to me as stories, but it also, that in a statement by um, Marty Sullivan, my year 11 history teacher, um, they made me a historian because mm. by the time I went to school, I knew most of what, what we were being taught in the history books was not accurate. Um, trust me, a small child who keeps no, sorry, that's not true, Miss. No, um, actually, that's an accurate Miss. No, no, that one's a very common myth. A myth. Um, I never did learn. I'm still doing it. Mm. Um, it was that, and Marty Sullivan, Mr. Sullivan. He ended up professor of history, but at that stage, he was um, studying part time for his PhD. Mm. He leapt into the room and leapt is the only word um, to the class of girls. Girls, revolutions do not happen when times are bad. Revolutions happen when things are getting better and people begin to hope. It is the hope that creates the revolution. And suddenly, all of these years of stories, and because I'd grown up with stories, I keep, mm. kept on asking people for their stories. I had this incredible network of stories. I would buy whenever grandma died or grandpa died and um, the family would publish their letters or their diaries, self-published, as a tribute. Um, I would get as many as I could in secondhand stores, mm. et cetera. Mm. Um, the combination of learning that stories are best told from a primary source and also to see history actually as a science with patterns that I got from Marty Sullivan. Um, that made me the historian. It took me quite a few years, though, to realise that a lot of the sources that our own history is based on, our, our official history, and the history I was finding in these letters was not necessarily true. If you look at journalism today, we accept a lot of it is not accurate, a lot of it's mm. puff pieces, and it's exactly the same. Mm. What Contench wanted his book to be a bestseller, he exaggerated how bad things were. Um, Major Ross just flat out lied in his letters to England. Um, Philip um, exaggerated how bad things were because he wanted people to know, look, this, we, we are in danger of disappearing. Act, please, why have we been forgotten? Um, but then when you read the um, records of Surgeon White of the First Colony, he talked about this must be the most healthful place on earth. Women, I would have sworn, were past childbearing age, bear, bear two and even three children, etc., etc. Mm. Um, they weren't starving. They were scared of starving. Um, the soldiers were really angry because they'd um, run out of grog. Um, they'd been too lazy to dry the powder out, so most of their gunpowder didn't work. But I'm also fascinated too. For example, I've got two books coming out um, and one in particular next year. 
there are many big secrets in our history. Um, one of our big secrets is that in World War One, women fought on the front line in the same trenches as men. Um, in London alone, there were 11,000 women employed by intelligence, mostly as censors, um, not on the front line. But in France, and particularly at the Battle of Cambrai, um, they needed signalers, sappers, people who could do Morse code. Mm. And because most of the men in the post office who could do Morse code had joined the um, post office rifles, they were dead by 1916, um, girls as young as 16, you're supposed to be 21, but the colonel would just come in and say, um, oh, look, um, and you are 21, aren't you? Um, your father's agreed, you're 21. Oh, yes, of course, I'm 21. Yeah. Um, and they, it, that took research. I came across it, well, Lisa, in fact, sent me a question in British Parliament. Why weren't the women who'd fought on the front line and been injured and crippled why won't they be getting pensions like the men? And so I tried to track them down. Where were these women? I found out, um, I found an advertisement for women to volunteer. They had to have morse at a certain level. They had to be able to ride. They had to pass a whole range of physical things. Um, so there they were, but there were no records. Um I found out that at the end of World War One, the British Army burned 3,600 records about the service of women so that the women could not demand pensions. And also it was embarrassing that they needed them before the Americans arrived. Um, they kept six. So we've got 3,666 records and six are kept. However... While they ordered that every record of every woman's service be destroyed, quite a lot of Irish women had volunteered because they thought the cause was good. Their conditions were appalling, far worse than the men. They didn't even have any leave, whereas the men were given leave. Um, they didn't even have to, I mean, a lot of them needed time to actually go and change their, their sanitary napkins, etc. But they had to sit there for 16 hours a day. So the Irish Postal Workers Union took up their cause and fought for better conditions for the women. And they kept very, very detailed records of names, places, numbers, what they did, where they served, etc. And Ireland, of course, was not part of Britain. And there in the archives of the um, Irish Postal Workers Union, you have got all of the material that British tried to destroy. And it is there. And um, this wonderful um, historian, Barbara Walsh, um, because finally just going through everything, trying to track it down, I kept coming across her name, giving papers vaguely on the subject. And I emailed her, and within minutes I got an email back again and how delighted she was. Mm. Um, she doesn't write fiction. Um, and she gave me um, a, a whole lot of records and material. Yeah, and I was I was able to do it. So... Some books take a lot of research. Most books, though, are areas I am just fascinated with. It's a problem. Like suddenly you've got that, um, mm. okay, where did these hundreds of thousands of women vanish to? What happened? Why mm. Why weren't they there? Mm. Um, you've got to find out why. 
I, I've, I've, I've got to find out why. And then suddenly, years later, um, there'll be a ping moment. It'll come together with themes and other things I've wanted to write about and characters. It'll come together. I don't believe in inspiration. Um, I think inspirate when people say, where do you get your ideas? Um, it's really that lovely myth. Uh, it's a cargo cult, um, a writer's cargo's cult, as though they think that um, suddenly um, into our minds, if you press a button here or the elbow, tap three times, um, there's no such thing as inspiration. There is an enormous amount of hard work, except it's hard work you're passionate about. You love, you absolutely adore. It's like playing with your kids. And, in fact, playing with your kids can be... Um, um, can in fact be the material that you're going to use in your book. Mm. But it's hard work, it's observation, and then it's putting it together. We are over, but do you want to talk about the book quickly? Um, Mrs Mulberry is, begins in 1924. Agnes, Agnes Gooch um, is an impoverished medical student um, about to graduate but she marries the, the very wealthy brother of a friend to save him from being locked up in an institution for the insane. Um, he can't speak. Um, he has been taken and restrained ever since shell shock. But she is not his wife, even though they are married. Um, she establishes this incredible, wonderful refuge madmen live here. You've got private, private, next zoology professor who um, was not a private, but um, goes around nude because he believes that all of all of the world's inequality comes from clothes, etc. Um, it, it opens with the wombat tearing up her knickers and that changes her life. However, she is still not married. She discovers her ex-fiance. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Um, has actually suddenly re returned because, like many men, he was kept on a small farm and didn't know the war was over. Yeah. They, they liked him. They needed him. But she also rescues a child from a circus. A child, the circus claims, um, was raised by dingoes, which Agnes believes is impossible. She believes the child looks like this because of a thyroid deficiency, which was very new back then. Um, but there is also this extraordinary mystery, where did this child come from? Um, and this immediate bond between Agnes's husband, um, 
the fiancé who has now returned, and Agnes trying to find who this story is. It is a book about one of the most horrendous acts I have come across in my life and some of the greatest love in my life and some of the most wonderfully hilarious um, eccentric characters I have ever written about. You were and such an I, entertaining writer. And I love really the are. book. Yeah, I yeah. Love, and every every single bit of it is based on a real event, though they all happened in different countries, different places and different times. Jackie French, we are out of time. Thank you so much. As I said, love chatting with you. Always entertaining. Uh, and let's talk soon. That would be lovely. Well, thank you so much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.